It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On one hand, I have a, a very cute little six-month baby with chubby little hands, and I love spending time with her. And on the other hand, I think I have something to offer this country in terms of competent, confident leadership. I think it speaks to us as a nation that anyone, regardless of your race or how many generations you've been living in Scotland, can aim for the highest office in our country and not be judged by the colour of their skin. Kate and Hamza are really valued colleagues. They're a really important part of the SNP. So I think all the mudslinging that's been going on just now just needs to stop. Everyone needs to take a breath. But we've got to remember that we're all going to be working together at the end of this. I want us all to come back together as a stronger SNP and we're all going to be working together for the betterment of Scotland. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. This is a brand new podcast. Welcome. Thanks for finding us. Whether you've joined us from Whitehall Sources, whether you've found us fresh, uh, you are very, very welcome. Thank you very much for being there. I'm Callum McDonald. And also here are brilliant, brilliant analysts, the insiders with the intel, uh, those who are going to guide us through this chaotic, potentially, next few weeks of uh, SNP leadership and beyond. Uh, let's say hello, first of all, to Jeff Aberdeen. Hello, Jeff. Hello. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, in the fair city of Aberdeen. Good. Tell us about you. What is your? Give us your CV for people who are not familiar with the Aberdeen brand. <laughs> Quite a lot of poker, I thought. <laughs> um, no, I was uh, uh, special advisor originally to, to the first minister Alex Salmond between 2007 and 2011, and then after the kind of landslide majority election of 2011, I became chief of staff and uh, retired after the uh, retired at this young age after the uh, 2014 Scottish independence referendum. Ever since then, I've worked in the, the kind of private sector. Do you have fond memories of um, patrolling the, the halls of Holyrood? Best time of my life. Fantastic. I mean, the, uh, for an experience for a young man to, to get that opportunity is pretty unrivaled. Um, and I, I, I think particularly the referendum campaign, that is a period, uh, whether you were involved directly in politics or not, it was it was just vibrant. The country was vibrant and, and it was really, really fascinating. Mm. I'll never forget that. I remember the 2014 campaign as well. When I was, so it was between my third and fourth year of university, so I was officially a student, but I was working at BBC Scotland. But the thing about it was you couldn't, you could hardly walk down a supermarket aisle without hearing people talk about the referendum. And, you know, everything else aside, just the level of interest and engagement that people had in the whole process was unlike anything I've ex ever experienced. And including, by the way, even Brexit, that referendum, it was not the same. It was not the same level of engagement. Yeah, I remember, I remember bumping in uh, to, I was out for a run during the referendum that a rare moment where you got some time to yourself. And I remember uh, bumping into a lady by accident. There was two ladies, maybe in their, uh, you know, in their 60s or early 70s, and they were having an argument about lender of last resort. <laughs> and I thought, we really have touched all Ertz and Pertz of Scotland. Did they manage to come up with an answer? I'm not sure anybody else did. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone did. <laughs> uh, listening along with us, uh, and also part of Holyrood Sources, is Andy McKeever. Hello, Andy. 
Hello. Great Hello. to have you there. Let's do the same thing. Give us your CV. Um, well, I've just realised I'm a little bit older than Jeff and a lot older than you. But anyway, <laughs> there we go. Um, I, um, I went to work for David McCletchie, who was leader of the the first leader in Hollywood of the Scottish Tories. Um, in 2002, not long after I'd left uni, just I went to work there supposedly temporarily. Um, actually, when the parliament was based up at the Church of Scotland, it wasn't even in the building at that point. Um, and I was with him for uh, a few years. Uh, I was then with him through his re resignation for his taxi expenses, which seems a long time ago now, but that was the sort of first taste of real, genuine, top-level crisis comms, which was really interesting, actually. Um, I then went on to work with Anvil Goldie. I was head of communications by that point, uh, responsible for, for policy and manifesto writing, as well as the comms. Um, and then I was away in 2007, uh, and I left politics completely, actually. Um, I returned briefly to help Murdo Fraser try to abolish the Scottish Tory party in 2011 with his leadership campaign. Uh, didn't happen. Didn't happen. Not yet, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've found some mutual ground already between the two of you, I think. I know, exactly. Uh, and, um, I, then, I, I then became a lobbyist. I uh, started a lobbying and PR company um, in 2011, and the rest is history. So wow. my, political, my political involvement since then has been very cross-party and actually a lot of government uh, work with the SNP since then, as well as work with the opposition Tory party. So it's been interesting. Have you ever tried to abolish any other political parties, Andy? No, I'm just moving around. So I, I, no, I just, well, to be fair, they're, they're not all worthy of abolition. Uh, we, there, there were very good reasons why we felt the Scottish Tory party was perhaps not the best vehicle for the centre-right to achieve government status in Scotland. Um, I'm not entirely convinced we have been proven wrong about that one in the intervening years, but... Um, I dare say time will tell. Interesting. So it strikes me then that the 2007 <coughs> election campaign might be might be fond memories for both of you at different ends of the uh, campaigning uh, spectrum. Perhaps is that fair? Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. Well, I, I, Jeff won. Oh, oh, sorry. Jeff did yeah, win. Yes, yeah, that's what sorry. I'm getting at. Jeff yeah. won. Well done, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, very much um, in that period, we were used to winning, and and there's actually a risk in there. For, for present day. I mean, I, I remember approaching the 2007 election, Andy will remember this well. Uh, the perception was, at least, that the Labour Party was very introvert, that they were they were mm. out of touch, um, quite self-entitled. And that we lent into that as a campaign, you know, and, and we said, it's time to get rid of this. They're not standing up for your concerns and they don't really care. They're dominated by infighting, uh, whether it was in within the party at Holyrood or indeed with their colleagues at Westminster, who, Tony Blair and, and Lapley Gordon Brown, who was in charge at the time at Westminster. And I just think, you know, if we take it to present day, there's a massive risk in this for, for the SNP because I think a lot of the public are looking on right now and going, what are these guys <clears throat> What are they up to? Uh, are they representing the issues that I concern? And the big risk is what we did to Labour. You talked about abolishing political parties. We almost did it inadvertently in 2011, yeah. the, the Labour Party. But but that that could happen again, but the reverse. And so the, and we've had it yeah. 20 miles away just now, guys, from Dice uh, in Aberdeen, where there was a by-election. Uh, and the results have shown a 9% swing on first preferences to the Labour Party from the SNP. Now, they have weighed the vote there for the SNP. Uh, since 2007, so the risk is very real. There is a real parallel. Nobody was talking about independence in 2007, by the way. Not, not, in a, not in a wide sense. I mean, of course, it was obviously an SNP ambition, but nobody was talking about it because nobody thought for a single second it was really on the cards. Um, and actually, you know, you had Jack McConnell as First Minister, a perfectly competent politician, perfectly competent man, perfectly competent First Minister, um, and you had a competent Labour government at... Westminster as well, but you did have a situation where they had just gone really stale. Um, they were taking their vote for granted. They'd gone stale, and they weren't focusing on issues. And if you know, if you say those three things: take your vote for granted, go stale, not focused on the issues that people want you to be focused on, as Jeff says, you could apply that to what's going on right now. So the parallels are actually quite interesting. And, and Alex Salmond, what you know, it was pretty, the Alex Hammond of, of 2007 to, to 2011 was very well regarded across the spectrum, including amongst unionists. You know, somebody who was seen 
as being able to very competently run a country and very competently run a government and combine creating wealth with, with distributing wealth, which is kind of where most of Scotland is. So he was able to very, very successfully do that. Um, and it really wasn't until 2011 when the SNP kind of accidentally broke the voting system <laughs> that all of our current debate actually started. 2007 to 2011, of course, interestingly, was when the SNP was effectively in an informal arrangement with the Scottish Tory party to pass legislation and pass budgets at Holyrood. Very little spoken of now, but that is what was happening for four years in that parliament as the Tory party propped up the SNP government, which is not something that you would perhaps expect to be the case. That is a really helpful context, which brings us together uh, for Holyrood sources because of this time of change for the SNP and for Scotland, of course. Scotland's going to end up with a new First Minister by the end of March. We're recording on Friday the 24th of February and as of, well, about 45 minutes ago at the time of speaking to you, uh, we have confirmation that three candidates are going to take part in the contest to succeed Nicola Sturgeon. They are the MSPs, Kate Forbes, Ash Regan and Hamza Youssef. They've all met the threshold for nominations at this stage. Uh, and so now the ballot of SNP members uh, is the next stage. That opens on the 13th of March. The winner will be announced on the 27th of March. Uh, so we've got three candidates. I think, for, let's start there, Jeff. Did we expect all three to make it? Because in the last week, the first week of sort of campaigning, it was pretty rocky road for, well, for Kate Forbes, notably. But the other two didn't get off unscathed, I think it's fair to say. No, indeed. I mean, I, I thought if you... If you were to ask me 48 hours ago, would I think we'd have you know Kate Forbes still in the contest? I think there was a real risk of her potentially pulling out. And I think, to be fair to her, credit to her resilience, if nothing else, that she's chosen to stay in the contest. And actually, uh, based on a poll that's been done uh, overnight, or at least uh, publicised uh, overnight, uh, it looks like she is uh, potential, but amongst SNP voters, uh, the front runner. Now there's a lot of, of of you know a lot of water to go under the bridge before we get to um, uh, the end of March. But actually, I sense a bit of a turn on in the media. I think that they feel uh, there was a bit too much uh, abuse uh, directed towards uh, Kate Forbes, who ultimately has only been espousing the beliefs that she holds, not that she would necessarily take into her government uh, um, uh, practice. And I think that folk have actually been a bit put off by that. And I'm talking about punters here. And ultimately, punters are those that matter. I mean, they influence the, the SNP membership, no doubt. But if you're going to be First Minister of Scotland, be a successful First Minister of Scotland, that's all that matters. Mm. Andy, what have you made of... Let's let's focus on Kate Forbes. I mean, she has had a lot of the focus in the last few <laughs> days, but understandably so. This level of scrutiny first of all, catches me slightly by surprise because I'm not sure we've learned anything we didn't know about Kate Forbes already. It's just been viewed in a really quite dramatically different way, perhaps. Is that is that fair, do you think? Um, yes, I think it is. Uh, my, I think that we expected her entry into the race to be dominated by questions from the media about what she would do about the gender recognition reform bill. Um there, there have been discussions and rumours and chatting for the entire time she's been off on maternity leave about, oh, you know, if Kate was here, she'd resign because of GRR and all that sort of thing. And I think there was this really frenzy to get her in front of a camera and get her in front of a microphone to ask about GRR. And I think everybody, because, you know, they know Kate and they know uh, the beliefs that she has that derive from her religion, I think people expected her to give the answer that she has given to that, which is that she didn't believe in it. I think where it has taken everybody a little bit by surprise is that it actually went on to other older issues and issues where she's not really on the side of the kind of middle of the ground person in Scotland. So on GRR, all polling will tell you that she is on the side of the middle of the road Scottish voter who is also very concerned about women's spaces, uh, uh, age limits, and so on when it comes to GRR. But then we start talking about gay marriage. And then we start talking about children outside of marriage. And that takes us into territory that I don't think we necessarily expected to be in at this point. So I think that is part of the reason for the frenzy. I think the other thing that's contributed to this is that Nicola Sturgeon resigned 
before any of us expected her to. I think everybody thought there was a possibility, or a probability even, that she wouldn't fight the 2026 Scottish election. But I think resigning now is something that took a lot of people by surprise. And this is the first time in many people's recent memory that the SNP have argued in front of the children. <laughs> Every other SNP debate, <laughs> spat, contest has all been behind closed doors. Now that a normal political party where you have massive fights in public, uh, and in the press. This is what happens in the Tory party and the Labour party on an extremely regular basis. And that's where the SNP is now. And I think the media has, to be honest, got themselves in a spot where they're saying, this is, we've been waiting for this for 20 years. We've been waiting for the SNP to have a discussion for 20 years. Now, I actually think that the discussion has the ability now to move away from all the social policy stuff and move on to what I think is a very, very fundamental difference between Kate Forbes and Hamza Yousaf, which is, do they believe in economic growth? How do they want to run public services? What's their approach to energy policy? What's their approach to housing policy? What's their approach to infrastructure? These are massive, massive Scottish issues, and I think that Hamza and Kate will have very fundamentally different answers on them. And one more thing before I uh, shut up. Um, the SNP has always been a very, very, very broad church. And that's why you get uh, free market centre-right liberals in the same party as socialists. And it has never really bubbled above the surface before in terms of actually having a fundamental argument about what the leader believes and which side of the fence that leader is from. Mm. The party has narrowed very substantially towards a much more urban, left-wing, social democratic outlook. Uh, and that's certainly the continuity Hamza Yousaf approach. Kate Forbes' approach is very different. It's a much more um, traditional SNP, rural, small business, uh, capitalist approach. These, and it's a really, really fundamental question, not just for the SNP, but actually for the whole country now. Quite taken by lots of what you've said there. Jeff, can you come in on the... On the discipline point, I think, because you can perhaps give us some insight into your into your time in Holyrood. Uh, Andy says this is the first time the SNP have been caught arguing in front of the children. Uh, how did you keep? How do you keep discipline so, so so that this is unprecedented? Yeah, I mean, look, the the, the the very nature of the 2007 election, we had a plurality of one. So on any given week uh, in parliamentary business, we could have uh, effectively lost a vote, which might lead to the, the crumbling of the government. That by itself, the threat of that can keep you together. And uh, more, moreover, that there was a, a certain novelty to the SNP. Uh, people like the SNP in government, as was shown uh, in 2011, four years of, of, of governing as a minority, uh, and that helped you as well. Um, now, that novelty has, over time, worn off. And after 2014, a fundamental change happened after the referendum. We were a, a growing party, the SNP, there's no doubt about that, but it became a massive party, a much broader church than I think any of us anticipated, From and I mean from all demographics, from all geographical locations, from all different uh, 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 kind of educational backgrounds, everything. The party was massive. And I don't think that we've ever really, as a party, come to terms with that, the sheer scale of that. And now Nicola Sturgeon, by, by virtue of the fact that she was um, the successor, the chosen successor, unopposed, came over, was a natural succession at a time when, you know, the SNP were, and the Scottish government, and Scottish politics actually, was actually covered the world over, um, was a natural successor, went and there, established herself. And at no point in the subsequent or intervening years have we really wrestled with this huge, broad church that we've had, surely to the strength of Nicola Sturgeon's own leadership? And Andy's absolutely right. This is the first opportunity in 20 years. I was there uh, at the Mark Loaf Hotel in Aberdeen when Alex Salmond launched his uh, 2004 leadership contest. That's the first time we've had this type of debate. And quite frankly, and, and Andy, I'll be interested in your views on this, I don't think the party were at all prepared. You're absolutely right. Nicola Sturgeon took everyone by surprise. But I think one regret that Nicola will have, and I have a great respect for Nora for a number of years, what, not only was there not a natural successor plan, but there was not a succession plan. 
You know, there wasn't time to say, as you would expect, maybe two months ago, look, guys, you need to start thinking about your campaigns, your policies, here's the framework, crack on, get, get, get your act together and prepare for a contest, a battle of ideas and a battle of visions. And that's, and that's been evident that that, wasn't, that didn't happen because what we've had is, frankly, a frenzied mess since then. Now, you're right, Andy, as well. Once we get over these personal belief stories, I think there is a natural end to those, an appetite for those. And I think, actually, one of the things the poll shows is that most, most folk don't really uh, hold this as a major issue, certainly not if we're to agree with the, 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 this poll that's come out. Can we get to that battle of ideas? Can we get to that battle of vision on the, the, the issues that you've uh, rightly pointed out, particularly around the economy, particularly about the green industrialization of our country, utilizing energy policy? If we can get to that, I think the SNP can save a bit of face here and have a battle of ideas. I think that'd be really important. But if not, as I said earlier, the challenge is absolutely there. It's there for all to see. A Labour Party that's got itself together into an almost electable position and is ready to pounce. So it's mm. absolutely crucial uh, that the SNP use these next four weeks a hell of a lot better than they did the last one week. Andy? I was reflecting, particularly Tuesday, Wednesday, which is when things were really, really pretty wild out there, to be honest with you, after Kate's announcement on Monday. And uh, there is, you know, there's Twitter and there's the world. And I think that poll that Jeff mentioned overnight is maybe illustrates a bit of the difference in that. But i tell you one thing that I did think, um, and Jeff said the party weren't ready, and I think that has manifested itself in the way that the party, and by the party I really kind of mean the establishment of the party, reacted to Kate's announcement and to her launch. And I mentioned at the start that I um, uh, was with Murdo Fraser when he launched the campaign to abolish the Scottish Tory party as part of his leadership of that leadership campaign for that party mm. in 2011. And there are parallels because we ke- we worked on this for a long time before and we kept it a massive secret and nobody knew. And then on day one, we launched with a new, with a logo, uh, with branding that was nothing to do with the Scottish Tory party. It was all branding about a new party. Uh, and his opening gambit was, this party's finished, I'm going to win, and then I'm going to immediately abolish it and start a new one. And, I mean, the Tory party went in DEFCON 1 at that point. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely mesmerising. And they closed ranks, um, and it was made very clear by the <laughs> leadership in London and in Edinburgh and by the headquarters of the party that Murdo was not going to be permitted to win that campaign. Um, and I think there's a certain survival instinct within the hierarchy of a political party where they say to themselves instinctively, this doesn't, this doesn't sound good for us. This doesn't feel right for us. I think we're going to have to stop this. And I, did, I felt like there were parallels. I'm not saying the SNP did that. I'm not saying that. But I did feel like there were parallels in the reaction to Kate's announcement to the reaction to Murdo's announcement 12 years ago. That is really interesting. And I wonder as well, I don't know, you know, rein me in if I'm if I'm going off piste here, but I do wonder if there's something in the it, just on the discipline theme whereby MSP SNP, MSPs and MPs spotted uh, a view being expressed by one of their own that is not generally accepted or is not the consensus of the party and that they sent as not the consensus of the public. And so is there some innate thing in there where they spot Kate Forbes with these views and think, well, actually, this is something we can demonstrate quite a decent level of unity against, if you see what I mean. So while she is uh, going off in one direction, the party generally coalesces around the opposite view. And so even if it's a subconscious thing, they spot that unity that perhaps has been missing uh, in recent times and think this is something we can unify around once again. Jeff, what do you think? Am I, am I being crazy? No, it's an interesting point. A couple of things. For, I mean, firstly, we seem to forget, or not we, but it has seemed to be forgotten by many that Kate Forbes served as economy secretary for five years. Okay, so by coming out, what, what, what I found quite distasteful about you know the last uh, week or so is this seemingly, you might be right in your analysis, but will unify against 
Kate Forbes. Now, I don't think that was necessarily the case, and I think we've seen a lot of people come out in support of Kate Forbes. But that, that in itself, to me, kind of represented something that's been happening for quite some time uh, in, in Scottish uh, politics, where the SNP so traditionally were always managing to navigate public opinion and find themselves on the right side of public opinion. Now, I could point you to four or five policies just now that if public uh, 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 opinion polls are to be uh, believed, where the general electorate are not particularly in favour of the SNP. And I think what happened, so let's take gender recognition. Uh, Andy mentioned that earlier on. Let's take the alcohol sponsorship consultation. Let's take the energy strategy and the presumption against oil and gas, where 76% people in the Serviction Bowl came out and said, no, we're in favour of oil and gas. There's a number of different issues here where the SNP seems to be out of step on public opinion. And what happened here was quite a knee-jerk reaction. And I understand it to a certain degree, because even I, when I saw the comments reported from Kate, I thought, Phew. You know, that doesn't reflect me. I'm about to have a child, incidentally, out of wedlock. And so, you know, perhaps I'm a sinner. But when I actually listened to what she was trying to say, and I think she would accept herself, she didn't frame it well. When you saw that, you realised actually she was espousing her own personal beliefs and she has tried to make clear, I'm not going to do that in government. I haven't done it in government for five years. So that instinct, that instinct to say, to take a, a black, an issue that isn't black and white, there's always grey, make it black and white, I think has really been unhelpful to the SNP. And actually, you know, we had some quite strong comments from senior members of the SNP against uh, Kate Forbes. I'm going to say against Kate Forbes, but maybe questioning her validity to, to be a leader. And I thought that was unfortunate because at the end of the day, she's been a colleague of these people mm. for the last five years. And so I would have much preferred to answer your question, seeing unity around the whole party and recognising that there's differences of opinion, differences of personal beliefs, but what we're interested in, actually, is the issues that Andy and I mentioned earlier. How can they govern? How, how can they demonstrate competent government? And I think that's been the most unfortunate thing about that unity. Jeff will know the answer to this much more than me, but it has been in the back of my mind that you asked earlier, Callum, didn't, didn't they know this about Kate Forbes already, right? And we, and we tackled that. I'll tell you what else they all knew about Kate Forbes. They knew that she wasn't a socialist. They knew that she is economically of the centre or centre-right. And a lot of people don't like that because the SNP of the Salmond era was seen as being a pretty centrist, pretty corporatist type of SNP. The SNP of the Sturgeon era, and particularly the Sturgeon plus Green era, is not yeah. that party. It is a party which is significantly moved to the left. Remember the the Green Party is a party which openly does not believe in economic growth. You have the most left-wing party ever in the history of any government in the UK, in government in Scotland right now. And I think her colleagues know that Kate Forbes doesn't believe in that. Now, we in Scotland are not used to um, the espousal of centre-right economics because the party that's supposed to do it, which is the Tory party, doesn't really do it very well because of all their other... Uh, perception issues. And here we have somebody, Kate Forbes, who may well do it from the position of being First Minister. And I think a lot of her colleagues, because the SNP has narrowed into this much more left-wing uh, party, I think a lot of her colleagues are probably pretty worried about that as well. And I just wonder, Jeff, whether, you know, in some ways, is the religious stuff a little bit of a proxy for the fact that they're actually nervous about her potential economic policy? Nah, that's a good question. I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure I, I agree with all of your characterisation. I don't necessarily think Kate's a centre-right politician, but we'll wait and see. Hey, listen, that's the problem with this, this contest so far. We don't know, actually know what anyone's policies are yeah. beyond the social, their social beliefs and, and, and religious beliefs, but, but we'll maybe find that out. But, but um, I think there's something in what you say, and this goes back to the point that you mentioned, Callum, about you know how the party, and, and, and Andy, how the party has has grown to become this huge church and, and, and was the perhaps apparatus in place to support that and support um, good constructive debate within that party. And I wonder, you know, and it might sound a bit of a process issue and rather boring, but actually on reflection, I'm not convinced and I'm not a member of the party. And, I, and as I say, I left after 2014 referendum. But it seems to me that we've never we've had a little bit of an identity crisis within the SNP as it's trying to search for its true soul. So, Andy, I think there might be something in what you what you say in defence of those people as well that came out 
or, or, or were opposed to what Kate said. You know, when you saw those words written down in a tweet or on the website, it did jar with you, of course, it, or, or mm. jar with those that believe in same-sex marriage like I do and believe in um, being able to to, to um, have relationships in any format you want. But 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 once you saw the context in which she was placing it, I think I, my point is more about the disappointment of the unity around her. And I felt she looked a bit exposed. And that didn't sit well with me because she has been a very, I would argue, an exemplary colleague in government of late. And I'd just like to see that instant reaction a bit more saying, okay, listen, we don't agree with Kate there and the, uh, on, on, on those views, but but she's never espoused that in government and she's been a very, very capable asset to the government. And I do think going through this campaign, senior members of the SNP, parliamentarians, are going to have to remind their colleagues and their members to just toe the line, guys. Remember, we're having a contest about the leader of a party, one that we all uh, vote for. If Kate starts to do better um, and Hamza's odds lengthen a little bit and Kate shorten a little bit and it looks like it's again more of a 50-50 contest rather than Hamza running away with it. You yeah. do wonder whether again that survival instinct that I talked about earlier on, does that survival instinct start to say let's prepare for a Kate Forbes government here just in case mm. because what we can't have is her winning the contest and then the party falling apart because everybody's criticised her and she can't form a cabinet, and she can't be elected first minister, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, you know, you yeah. might then see the party saying, we've got to hold things together here, so we're going to have to change tack a little bit and, and pull ourselves back together. And listen, Andy, the same is true. You know, I, I think, you know, the, way, the trajectory we're going, regardless of who wins, you know, we all know, listen, leadership contests are pretty commonplace at Westminster <laughs> and I'm sure your other podcast Callum you're, you're you're talking about them endlessly we haven't had this in Scotland before mm. uh, in, in most people's you know uh, uh, lifetimes actually or generations I mean it's 20 years uh, since we've had it in, in Scottish uh, politics to this extent and so you do need to I do wonder you know there needs to be some leadership shown to remind people that whoever wins this um, there's going to be people disappointed and the reaction to that result is going to be very um, uh, interesting as well and will be, you know, I've, I've heard some people, we saw on the Daily Record today, we're not going to vote for Kate Forbes if mm. that's a briefing on the mm. Daily Record. I don't know how much credence we put in that. But that that is manna from heaven if you're the opposition. You must be looking at that, rubbing yeah. your hands, going, this is brilliant. We're almost suggesting that the SNP are having an internal democratic process and they're not even going to vote for the success uh, the, the, the person that wins that democratic process, come on, you know, and and, and we do, I, I just feel there needs to be a sense of calm place and maybe the hustings and the debates will allow them to do that. But you need some leadership here to provide that unity that you turn, you said our own cup. Yeah, really, really interesting. So just by way of process, because I think that's an important point just to mention here. So at this point, we have three candidates officially. They had to get 100 nominations from at least 20 local party branches. Then we go to the uh, SNP members' ballot. It's a single transferable vote system, Joy of Joys, which uh, opens on the 13th of March, and the winner is announced on the 27th of March. And then just because of the way the Scottish Parliament works, the First Minister is then officially selected by MSPs. So in theory, MSPs could just go off-piste and choose whoever on earth they want. That, that seems remarkably unlikely, for all the obvious reasons, but it's just worth knowing that that is a kind of quirk in the system. The poll that you've been mentioning that we've been talking about today, um, this is reported in the Times, uh, in the Times Scotland edition. Who would you most like to see elected as the next leader of the SNP and First Minister? This was 1,001 respondents in Scotland who voted SNP at the last election. Notably, Don't Know comes out on top with 31%. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It reminds me of student <laughs> student association elections um, at uni when people used to uh, used to tick the box to, to run the, the election again and that one won most of the time and had to be discounted See, we, eventually. We never got Don't Know at the Tories, right? We just, we just got No at the Tories. We never got Don't Know. That was different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it, coming in in second then after don't know is Kate Forbes on 28% then Hamza Yusuf on 20% none of these options gets 14% and Ash Regan gets 7% it is just one poll is always the caveat to mention shall we go on to Ash Regan next then because I, I think Ash Regan's an interesting candidate because she's potentially largely kept out of the of the of the mess of this week 
and simply kind of commented things along the lines of this needs to be a cleaner campaign. Actually, everybody should uh, sort of speak a bit more kindly of one another. Uh, Ash Regan, potentially most known for rebelling um, over the gender recognition reform bill in that unprecedented SNP rebellion. Um, Andy, what more do we know about Ash Regan at this point? Again, we are anticipating hotly getting stuck into the issues. But as we, as we, as these campaigns launch, what what do we actually know about her? Um, well, we know a bit because she's been a minister uh, in government here for a few years, um, and, a, and, a, and seen as being a, a perfectly competent person. She was junior minister; she wasn't cabinet secretary level, uh, but a perfectly competent person. I think we would always have expected that this leadership contest coming at the time that it has um, and after the Section 35 order from Westminster in relation to the Gender Recognition Act, Ash Reagan resigned as a result of that Gender Recognition Reform Bill, resigned from government. And so we would always have expected there would be an anti-GRR candidate somewhere in this race. And that, although Kate Forbes is also anti-GRR, the anti-GRR candidate is Ash Reagan. Um, nominated by Joanna Cherry, MP at Westminster, who obviously has been extremely outspoken on the issue of gender recognition uh, over a, a long period of time as well. So I think that um, th that poll, as you say, one poll, but that poll with Ash Reagan finishing last of the three, I think is what everybody would expect the outcome of the leadership race to be as well which is Ash finishing last of the three. I think the interesting thing in terms of positioning, so Ash has said a few other things over the last few days, not, not cut through a lot because there's been so much noise, but um, she has recommitted to oil and gas. Um, so up in Jeff's part of the world, up in Aberdeen, a uh, lot of concern uh, in industry and amongst, I think it's fair to say, Jeff SNP supporters about the Scottish government's oil and gas policy. Um, Ash has recommitted to uh, oil and gas exploration. Um, she uh, And she's also taken uh, an approach on the Constitution, which is a kind of slightly more fundamentalist approach on independence as well. I think it's, I would expect that Ash Reagan and Kate Forbes are fishing in similar ponds here in this leadership context. And the fact, of course, that it is single transferable vote, I would imagine if you're the Kate Forbes campaign, you're thinking to yourself, you know, maybe I don't beat Hamza in the first round, but hopefully I'll pretty much get all of Ash Reagan's second preferences, because if you're an Ash Reagan voter, why would you put Humza second rather than putting Kate Forbes second? Mm. So I think that you can look at uh, Ash and Kate and almost see them as being looking for the same sort of votes when we come to uh, hustings and all that sort of thing, and maybe look at Humza fishing from a different side of the party. There's always an advantage of being last. In many, in many ways in a leadership contest because you can really just go hell for leather, say what you, you, you like, try and get traction. But I will say this, you know, I don't, I, don't, I must confess, I, I, I was you know, well out of uh, Hollywood before Ash Reagan came on the scene, so I don't know her particularly well at all. Quite impressed with her, her kind of intervention so far, even though most of them have been on Twitter, they're just quite punchy to the point. I think people like that and uh, understanding your positions. But Andy's right. Look, the interesting thing here, I, I'm not entirely convinced there would be the same an economic approach. I think the mm. Ash, if I'm, if I'm right, I think comes from a more common wheel, more left uh, uh, side of the spectrum. Uh, and perhaps uh, 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 Kate would be more towards the centre, as we've discussed. But I do think that if this contest progresses and, and the polling doesn't change and, and, it, and it feels like Ash is remaining at, you know, in the third place in quite a distance third, not only do I think that those single transferable votes might exchange, I do wonder, would, and this is uh, one explorer, I don't know, would Ash say, okay, in return for a decent position within government, I'll just uh, call it a day and say back, okay. And so that might be one to look out for as well as the, as the, as the campaign unfolds. I mean, Hamza, I think, is still today, I think he'll still be feeling reasonably good about his chances, although that poll doesn't reflect it, but the, the, the don't know person seems to be doing very, very well indeed. And that's a, that suggests it's a wide open contest. Mm. So I do think at some point there'll be, you know, conversations uh, between uh, the Reagan and, and, and Forbes campaigns to see what accommodations can take place. 
Follow and subscribe to Holyrood Sources and email us anytime. Hello at hollyroodsources.com. Okay, so let's let's build in Hamza Yusuf at this point as well, then, just to try and sort of navigate their varying strategies and and, and crucially where things go from here. I suppose we mentioned the uh, the record front page uh, of this morning, uh, which was um, throwing up potential issues when it comes to the vote in Parliament. The Herald front page and in their SNP leadership special, Yusuf asked to skip key same-sex marriage vote. This is an account from Alex Neal, former health minister, um, who suggested that the ministerial meeting, the now somewhat notorious ministerial meeting, that meant that Hamza Yusuf was not in the Scottish Parliament for the final vote on the uh, equal marriage legislation, uh, that that was arranged 19 days in advance as cover to avoid having to vote, and basically he he did use it as a guess-out. Um I suppose there's, there's a kind of scrutiny thing here, you know, this coming to light uh, from Alex Neil. The, the, the sort of response from Hamza Youssef was very much, you know, I support equal marriage, etc., etc., which perhaps puts the whole thing to bed to some extent. I just wonder, I wonder how he is going into this next round, Jeff. Uh, with with this story today, with the week that's been, where is he positioned? Can you can you identify what his strategy is, and is it working? Yeah, well. Your last kind of question first. I mean, I, it's hard to see who anyone's strategy quite yet is because we have just been dominated on such um, on these issues uh, for the week. Uh, so, really, I'm I'm interested to see all policy uh, platforms. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think this story about the vote incidentally really will 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 matter much longer. I think it's I think it's it's not going to it will persist as long as questions are asked of Kate Forbes and her beliefs and that, and that but I, I I sense I don't know what you think Andy I think that's coming to its natural end now I think Kate's at least sought to draw somewhat of a line under it and and barring any other kind of misframings of answers it, it we might be now moving to that right what is your vision for Scotland and I really mm. hope we are because mm. I'm not sure we can all take another four <laughs> weeks of this I find him I find him in a position where I think, as I said earlier, he's got a lot of parliamentary backing. Mm. And I'd still give him a very good chance of being the next leader. His biggest weakness here is his incumbency as health secretary. What we saw yesterday, those health stats are much more damning than this story about the vote, which I generally think most people think is a process thing. And you can say I voted in the first time, the first vote, and I backed GRR. And I think that kind of largely puts it to bed. But we've got a health service just now that is creaking and uh, under pressures, and there's some mitigating circumstances for that. No doubt we've come out of COVID, but nonetheless, the buck stops with, stops with him. And we've got to assume that we can last four or five weeks of this election campaign or leadership campaign without another crisis or some damning figure, or some damning incident, incident. And the minute that there is one of those, if it, if it does happen, he's going to be on the hook for it. Mm. And I think that is much more riskier for him than anything else. Mm. Mm. I mean, the, I, I, I hope, I think, and hope Jeff is right. I, I, I do think these religious questions and social questions will keep cropping up, but hopefully they'll not be the centerpiece of it. And yeah. you know, to be honest, I, I think it's going in a pretty. I don't think the direction going because the undercurrent here is, um, why aren't you asking Hamza these questions? Is it you know because you, you could, you're asking them to a Christian. So why won't you ask them to Hamza? Are you too scared to ask them to Hamza? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that undercurrent going on. And I don't think that takes us anywhere good, to be honest with you. I really don't think it takes us anywhere good at all. Mm. So it would be good if those questions stopped. Hamza's answered that question. I've heard him answer it three different times. And there's not really much. It's like It turns into a he said, yeah. she said. Right? And there's just it doesn't go anywhere. Um, I think the, the health secretary point is the important point. And on that, I actually feel really sorry for Hamza Yousaf because... It isn't possible to be a good health secretary because this, the NHS can't work. And it doesn't matter who this health secretary is, there's always going to be a crisis in the NHS just because the NHS is what it is. And that's a whole different podcast about how you sort that out. Um, so I, I, do, I agree with Jeff, it's a potential problem for him because there are any number of stats that both his opposition external opposition and his internal opposition can throw at him. But actually, I don't think he's responsible for what's going on in the health service. I think it doesn't matter who was running the health service. It's going to be the way it's going to be run the way it's going to be run anyway. Hamza's issue, I think, is to prove that he is... I mean, he is the continuity Nicola Sturgeon candidate. He has got to 
say to those people who are loyal yeah. to Nicola Sturgeon and loyal to John Swinney to a degree as well, I'm your, I'm your replacement for them. Um, and I think the key for him is to show that he is intelligent, competent, a good communicator, uh, has gravitas, has all the things that people expect from Nicola Sturgeon. Now, nobody expects him to be Nicola Sturgeon, but then nobody expected Nicola Sturgeon to be Alex Salmond in 2014. And look what happened. She turned out to be a superstar. So I think Hum- I think a lot of the criticism that Hamza does get is not good enough. He was being poor in his briefs. He doesn't have a grasp of things and so on. I actually don't think it's true. Uh, and I think he has to spend the next few weeks showing people that he is capable a lot more than they are saying that he is. Your point about the health service is right. It's a hugely challenging brief. The, the, the best person who actually was in charge of that brief in recent times was Nicola Sturgeon. And, and she was not without her challenges either and so it's a hugely you might even say it's a hospital pass am i allowed to use my pun (laughs) you've done it now you've done it now i'll stay in it's fine it's fine i I know i had to no um (laughs) but you're right you know i've known hamza for 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 nigh on 20 years as well and he is capable uh, and he has ability um there's no doubt about that but you're also right again now sorry i mean i keep saying you're right the, this continuity just, thing. It's fine, just keep doing that. That's no problem. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, this is making me sick. I don't want this going out in the air. <laughs> the continuity <laughs> candidate stuff is, 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 is a real issue because he has to, somebody, I mean, there's no doubt Kate Forbes, I think we've, we've got a good understanding that she's going to come out and there's going to be some se- pretty serious policy divergence from what's gone before. I think it's certain to say Ash Reagan, based on her launch today, would take that same approach. And that's great campaigning things to say in a debate. You know, I would do this differently. This is the approach I take. These are things I would reverse. These are things I would do differently. Gets you off on a good start. Like, okay, things are going to be different. Whereas Hamza has to find that balance between, well, actually, I'm going to continue that, maybe just soften that a little bit, and we're not sure about that. Mm -hmm. You need a really strong policy platform. And I think, actually, the pressure on, if you were to take all three leaders, the pressure on that, kind of policy platform uh, element of this campaign is much more on Hamza than anyone else for those reasons. Really interesting. Really, really interesting. I wonder then, just as a sort of bit of a concluding thought from each of you, in terms of a broad appeal to, first, appeal to the SNP members who are going to vote on this and appeal to Scotland with a view to being First Minister, what is a broad approach that works today? What does Scotland need to hear from its potential next First Minister in the course of this next month of campaigning? Andy, let's start with you. Well, that's a really interesting question because I think that the SNP membership may want to hear something different than what Scotland wants to hear. So I think uh, what Scotland wants to hear is what the First Minister will have to tell them after March the 28th. Mm. Um, I suspect what the SNP membership wants to hear And this is where it becomes more similar to a Labour or Tory election, actually. When you get down to the membership of a political party, which, let's face it, in any political party's case, is not a very good cross-section of society at large. Um, They generally want the reddest meat, to be honest. Um, And that comes back to independence. So, you know, I think we will start to focus on independence strategy as a very central aspect of this campaign. The SNP have now fought one, two, three, four, five national elections with exactly the same strategy, which is vote SNP for NDRF2. It's been the same campaign, and that campaign is now dead because of the Supreme Court's decision at the end of last year. So these candidates are going to have to come up with a new credible strategy, which not only passes the test of the media and is able to be articulated and defended, but is also significant enough so that the membership can say, I think this person could actually take us to independence. Mm. Um, And it's very, very hard. But that is probably ultimately what this will start to come down to over the next few weeks is, how are you going to deliver independence? Because that's what we're here for. This is going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds. And I'll just point you back to what served the SNP so well in those four years. When we started this conversation, why did we get an election where we had a landslide and a PR system and broke the system effectively. And the, the mantra used at that election campaign was record, team, and vision. Team, you had 
Alex Salmon, Nicholas Sturgeon and John Swinney, well Kent faced, they'd cut their teeth uh, in, in politics for some time before that, they, people knew who they were. The vision, yeah, that was, you know, trust us uh, um, to, to do a good job uh, and it seems like you believe we have and we can do more with the powers of independence. It was incremental messaging, it was gradual messaging. But the first one, record, was the most important because people thought that we'd done a good job in government. Now, I recognise everything as Andy said, but if I was advising any leader, I'd say, look, I'm here first and foremost to be first minister of all of Scotland and I need to have a competent record. But I'd also use that as an opportunity to say to the, the SNP members and independents, that's how we got it last time, guys. That's the only thing that is going to build. If you build from a competent record and build a, build a case, an economic case, a credible economic platform for independence, that's how we'll get a referendum or that's how we'll have another opportunity because the only thing that will move Westminster opinion is consistent public polling that says 55, 50, 56, up to 60% saying we want a referendum. And you can only do that if you're known as a competent government with a competent and credible economic case. It's not an easy message to sell, and believe me, I've tried it before myself many times. But that, to me, is the opportunity that has to be taken to be successful. Um, really fascinating insight. We are up and running on Hollywood Sources. Uh, thank you both very much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Andy. Uh, really good to have you both with us. We will be back. The plan is every Tuesday. Now, just to borrow from my experience of doing Whitehall Sources, we initially set out to be a weekly podcast, and such was the utter carnage of Liz Truss and her government imploding that we ended up doing about 20 million episodes in the first week. So, brace yourselves. <laughs> Uh, who knows how this thing is going to play out what we do know is we've got three candidates you've got a good background a good context on each of them there from andy and from jeff and we will continue to analyze the campaign to be the next snp leader and first minister of scotland uh, here on hollywood sources thank you for being with us make sure you follow and subscribe you'll never miss an episode whenever they come out uh, and you can also email us email us your thoughts as well the email address to get in touch, the inbox is always open, is hello at hollywoodsources.com. Do you agree with Jeff and Andy? There was a terrifying outbreak of consensus at various points in this first episode. Mm. Uh, if, if you want never to, again. Never again, exactly. If you, that was a once-in-a-generation consensus. Don't worry about that. Uh, you can agree or disagree. You can email us anytime, hello at hollywoodsources.com. And we'll be back on Tuesday with episode two.